next exit. It's next exit because it's like the very <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah. We we have had some moments. Those are the three that like that really kill me. Was, this exit or is it next exit? I think to have it be this exit, you have to be seeing the exit because this implies it's right here. Whereas like if we're still two miles from the exit <laughs> and we haven't seen a sign yet that says exit a mile and a half away, it's the next exit. That, that's the difference. Then. It's that's the, the next exit. Everything like, else I'm like. If like, if, if the sign says next exit a mile away, you'd be like, oh, this exit. Because if you said next exit after that, I'd be like, wait, you mean this one or next one? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's also like all funny because it's all arbitrary, right? Like, it's all like the only important thing is that you, whoever you're with, you can communicate, like understands what you're saying. Yeah, I've done all these in the past like six months. Is it this exit or next exit? Are we online or are we in line? Is it in Manhattan or I was like, is it in Long Island or on Long Island? I think it's on Long Island. I think it's in Long Island because if you're in Manhattan, you're on Long Island. I follow that logic, but the only thing I would say to disagree with it is technically Brooklyn is Long Island. Correct. So are we on Brooklyn? We're not on Brooklyn, we're in Brooklyn. So we're in Long Island. Fucking shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good point. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's the way that I think about it. Like, cause we're not, we're not on Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Like that to me, even with the phrase online, to me, that implies that the line is a physical space that you can literally stand on top of. <laughs> like I'm right. online. No, you're not online. You're in line. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I, uh, every New Yorker is gonna, would yell at me for that, including the ones in my own household. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Inline, online, it doesn't matter. We understand. But I'm going to ask a bunch of people, like, is it inline or is it online? I think it's inline, but I think New Yorkers say it's your online. Yes, which they is do. Fucking batshit crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me. No, and I think you're in Long Island. Me too. I, mean, I think you're in Brooklyn and you're in Manhattan, but you're on Long Island. Yeah, I could buy that. I do. Like I said, I would just say that we're then saying that Brooklyn and Long Island are two different things, which I guess that they are. Well, right. in essence, it's like the, the folks who say on Long Island they are, live. Who, are, who are from Long Island. Yes, yes. It's this exit, not next exit. This exit. Yeah, it's this exit. Take the next exit. Yeah, yeah. The next that's one, a, gonna fuck your shit up. That's a tough one, man. Yeah, that's I, a I, tough I one. I think like, it's next exit. I one, definitely. This one coming up, not the next one. It's like, it's not this one. <laughs> yeah, we have this. Yeah, we're going to continue to have this confusion, I think, <laughs> with that it's, stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fuck with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah, next exit. Anyway, yeah. It's this exit. It take, is this exit. Take this exit. Take this exit. Correct. It's not next exit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, one of uh, life's great unanswerable questions, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go ahead. All right. Welcome. Know your roles. We're still here. Still yeah, alive. Right along. We, uh, I'm excited what we got going, what we got for our audience. Me too. Yeah, we're going to do something we haven't done in the last couple of weeks, which is talk about things that we like. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Well, what's on your bar, George? I want to talk about New York City. What's the date? September 10th. And we are starting to open up a few things. The gyms opened up Tuesday. 
So I went to my gym yesterday. Did you make an appointment? No, no, no. They're, I think they're, they're limiting access. But it was only like a handful of people that were there. They check your temperature before you walk in with a like face scan, which I think is what bars or restaurants are going to have to get. Yeah. Uh, you wear a mask at all times. They give you like a personalized little spray bottle for spraying down your uh, your equipment, which I think they disinfect when you're when you hand it back to them. No showers, social distancing. But it was it was nice to be able to get back in the gym, even though it's very weird. Any of our listeners who know of uh, any good masks to work out in, because I found my mask to be a little a little taxing to breathe in when I was on the treadmill and like uh, doing other things. I mean, I'm not supposed to take it off either, so I need something that's easy to breathe in. So anybody want to let us know what kind of mask to use for that. And then Cuomo announced yesterday that starting September 30th, I believe? 30th, yes. Restaurants are going to be opening to 25%. So we'll see how that, that works out. I'm not really sure where I work. I was going to do that up front because 25% in essence is like 15 people. Yeah. And the idea that businesses are going to survive off getting 25% of the business, the indoor business that they used to it is a fallacy. That's not going to really help businesses that much. Yeah. We'll see how, how, how everything works out between now and the 30th. And I think the next checkpoint, I think, is November 30th when they, they're possibly moving up to 50%. So Yeah. Well, I mean, all that stuff is so premature. I mean, schools are supposed to uh, reopen, but teachers are, are fighting it. And, and many of us who aren't teachers are fighting it as well because it's just like really irresponsible. You know, I'm not, I won't speak to the to the restaurant thing that's a whole nother thing but like they're using schools as a model yeah for sure. yeah yeah and like as a look we we can open things but yet teachers are saying we don't have running water in our schools which is normal not just because of now so how can you say that they're safe i mean teachers are posting pictures of faucets that don't work of windows that that have been closed for 30 years that they're now like putting and they put like a plastic sheet over i mean it's it's preposterous and and I think we just need to remember that all these calls, even though we do want to doing, you know, it, we want, it's, it's been rough, but uh, you know, all these calls are, they need to all be looked at. They're not really for us. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they want to open stuff so they can continue to stimulate the economy and continue the, the cycle that we live in, you know, whereas like what would be, we should be just thinking about what's best for people. Right. Like, right. Right. It's like, if you want to go to the gym, if you want to go out to a restaurant, that's fine. You know, it is what it is. But the call should still be from the elected officials to be taking care of us <laughs> and not be like risking people's lives for, you know, for uh, some economic system. But anyway, um, did you, I, I'll, just before we finish that, did you, so you felt good at the gym, like good enough to continue to go? And uh, I'm going to go again tomorrow, today. I felt like I was there at the right time that it was, uh, it was easy enough to sort of like get on equipment and not feel like I was not uh, like socially distanced. So like that kind of helped the fact that some of the machines aren't working. So you're already kind of distancing yourself anyway from that point. Or I, I, they probably just purposely turned them off. It's like, I didn't, like not working. It's probably not even the thing they were doing. I think I purposely decided not to have those on. Well, let's say if you're on the bike, you got like five bikes in a row. Well, the sort of not, the sort of police that would be like one in five are the ones that work and two, three, and four are the ones that don't, so. Yeah, don't do, they talked about in restaurants, which is putting a cop in the restaurant to uh, enforce yeah, it. No, so no. Like go the, to a gym if a cop is there. They sent emails, the new air filtration thing, and then like the, the personalized 
water bottles that, that are filled with disinfectant is kind of rad. So yeah, totally. I mean, you know, there's a there's a best way to do it, right? Yeah. There's no perfect way to do anything right now, but there are better ways. And it, it seems like they've, they've definitely done their like, I guess, research of how to get this done and blah 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 blah. So shout out to the gym, or at least the gym I belong to, which is Harbor Fitness here in Brooklyn. So what about you? What's in your bar? Well, what's on my bar? kind of similar in in essence which it's it's a little broad but i i don't want to spend too much time on it but i just want to say i've been having these kind of like you know i'm someone who i think if you've listened to any of the past shows or know me at all you kind of know that i will bring up things that not everybody wants to talk about all the time and uh you know it is what it is but i just want to say that everything is political there's this idea that politics and government are like the same thing and they're not government isn't necessarily in every thought or decision that we make but politics is in every single decision that we make and every single thought that happens and every single act that that uh is done is a political act in in some sense two quick things but one thing the story that had thought about it this is castor semenya who i don't know if you are familiar, but who is South African. She is a middle distance runner and she won the gold medal in 2016. She won world championships. She has world records. She is unbelievable. But the Olympics are trying to stop her from competing because they say that she has abnormal levels of testosterone and they want to make her take drugs or have surgery. They're, they're requiring her to take either take drugs or have surgery to compete. And she is like, absolutely fucking not. I will not be doing that. Drugs and have surgery? Or have surgery to lower her testosterone level because they believe, and you know, because there's science that's, that has stated uh, falsely that gender is a binary and that there are men and women and they have to have certain chemical, you know, and chemical things in the, in their body. And it has to be at certain levels and all this stuff. And they're literally trying to bar this woman from competing because she is so good that she beats everyone and saying that it's because she essentially is like a man, which is like the most unbelievably transphobic misogynistic thing. And uh, yeah, it's a story I think that's not getting a lot of, definitely getting some attention because she, her response is awesome. And she is, you know, ha- over the whole course of her career and life has, has fought this battle and doesn't compromise, which is great because you should never have to um, when you're talking about like being oppressed. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, like I said, everything is political and everything, you know, that we think we have to think about it in, in certain ways of how it is the, our thought process is affecting. Yeah, for example, another very quick thing is that the, uh, you know, all these fires, all these fires in California and Oregon and along the coast, a lot of the, there was one, the big fire that was started by a gender reveal party, which is like the most disgusting. I mean, if you can't see the fact that the gender binary is violent or or just like the way the closed-mindedness of wanting to codify or just put everything in a box of like this is what makes up this person or this per or this identity or or whatnot like we don't have a say in that you know what i mean people it's all a spectrum and people can exist on it wherever that they exist 
And yeah, I'm pretty sure up until this year, I had no idea what a gender reveal party was anyways. (laughs) Well, I just learned that it was uh, started in 2009. Yeah. I thought it was like an old thing. No, that seems like something that you would see in Nashville. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Like, uh, no disrespect to Nashville. Yeah. You see it all over, but I. I No, I mean, I'm like, it's just, I've lived in New York for 15 years. I've yet to go, go to a gender reveal party. Yeah, I, I hope I'll never get invited to one. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's it's just, just like, come find out the sex of this baby you had nothing to do with. Cool. <laughs> yeah, okay, count me in. And also, like, we don't get, nobody gets to decide, you know. Nobody, it's like this idea that it's a decision. It's not, it's not, we don't get to say, like, and it's blue. It's, it's all, it's all fucked. Anyway, like I said, I just wanted to quickly state that, that we should just remember that there is no politicizing things. Nothing is politicized unless you're talking about government officials using something for their own issue. But like us citizens, like we're not politicizing anything. Everything is political. Are there fireworks at gender reveal parties? There's that's also, yeah. There's yeah, fire- well, that's that's how the, well, there are pyrotechnics. Oh, okay. That's one way I go. So it's like the box explodes in like a blue smoke or some shit like that. Oh, okay. All right, I, mean, but I, can, I can see the appeal in that. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, it's become a whole thing of like, you know, uh, yeah, everybody tries to one-up each other and like uh, do yeah, no, more very, creative very ways. Yeah. It's very Southern. That's kind of like a big wedding. It's just like a, it's like a very Southern thing. So, yeah. Yes. That's I why I always thought it was like an old school thing. Because it was yeah, like. No, I can see that being like a thing. Shout out to, to my, my people in Tennessee. I can see them getting getting excited about that. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, maybe in the future don't, but um, but uh, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to be talking our favorite ensemble movies or some really good ensemble movies. So we're going to be comparing them to some of our favorite teams, some of our favorite specific seasons of teams. And yeah. When I was doing my list, I was like, I had some rules. I wanted to make sure that I had the ensemble movies that I had, that like all the characters, at least the vast majority of the characters in the movie, were all going for the same thing. Because you can have a bunch of great movies with a bunch of, like Star Wars is, a de- is an interesting ensemble, but there's a lot of people in it and not necessarily on the same side. So that I, so I like, I kind of eliminated that kind of, that kind of movie. So the movies that I, the characters and movies that I have and the teams that I have, I think make a lot of sense. So uh, without further ado, do you want to start? Okay. Yeah, I'll start. I was also uh, thinking about it in similar ways. We kind of talked about what criteria were. Uh, You said something that was helpful to me, which was like, you got to have multiple people who could be leading the show, so so to speak, in something else, uh, or or you could build something around them. And I think all, all of the ones I picked do that. But also I was looking at, I was looking at stuff with what I would call, especially relating it to sports, uh, deep benches, you know, of a lot of different interesting characters. And thing I like about ensemble movies the most, or, or just like richly textured movies, is that every person that is on screen that has a line has a purpose. And they're the, not only do they have a purpose that has been written, because that's what good writing is, but all the actors are bringing something to it. You know, so in that respect, my first, the first movie I want to talk about is Do the Right Thing. And Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee, 1989, very important movie for many, many reasons. It's a very powerful movie, but it's also, the movie has, it's got a lot of depth. There's so much stuff. Uh, personally, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's just a masterpiece. We 
my fiance and I watched it a few months ago. We watched it, thankfully, for our own mental state, we watched it before the murder of George Floyd and the uprisings, because if you haven't seen it, it's a 30-year-old movie and it's been talked about. But the scene in the movie where Radio Rahim gets killed is very reminiscent to things that have happened in, in real life. Very difficult to deal with. Uh, like I said, very powerful. Even before that happened, when we watched it, I mean, we spent the last 30 minutes of the movie pretty much sobbing the entire time. And I've seen the movie like five times. So, and, um, but it's very powerful. It's very stylized. Like I said, it's also, it's very funny. It's very heartwarming. It's, it's got a lot of stuff in it. Talk about deep bench. Uh, you have Spike Lee in the main role as Mookie, who I think he's definitely a much better director than he is an actor, but he's certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, he, he, he gets credit, he gets criticized for his acting a mm. lot and and putting himself in movies which i just do want to say that i don't think it's necessary i don't think he's a great great actor but i don't necessarily think all that criticism is fair i mean he's trying i don't think he's necessarily putting himself above the movie you know when he puts himself in the movie and also he even though he's not he he brings something he i think he works in the roles that he's in specifically the ones i'm thinking of are do the right thing and school days but but anyway He's in it. Danny Aiello, very good. John Turturro, Giancarlo Esposito as Bugging Out, one of my favorite characters um, in a, in any movie. Rosie Perez, Ruby D, Asi Davis, John Savage, Samuel L. Jackson. So you're talking about deep, 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 deep bench. It's very interesting movie. Like I said, it had a lot of strong responses. It it premiered at at Cannes, at the Cannes Film, Can Film Festival in 89. Is it or is it on Cannes? It's in Cannes. It's in, <laughs> it's in the Cannes. Um, but, <laughs> but it had mixed responses. It was, some people really responded to it and others didn't. And they had, or they did respond. They had very, you know, averse negative reactions to it one of which being that still apparently bothers spike lee to this day vim vendors the filmmaker who was on the jury at con and it wasn't do the right thing was not recognized and spike lee is like still bitter about it because wim wender he he thinks that wim wenders steven soderbergh won the award sex lies and videotape sex lies and videotape which i think is is a good, film. A good movie. Yeah, uh, totally. But Spike Lee was talking about it. Then he said, look, me and Steven are cool. We've always been cool. But the thing was commandeered by Wim Wenders. He said Mookie was not a heroic character. And that's something that I kind of was like a lot of the responses of Mookie caught. He during the big climactic scene when Radio Rahim gets killed by the police, Mookie takes a trash can and throws it into Sal's pizza, essentially like starting an uprising in that moment. And there were some really, really, in addition to Wim Wenders kind of saying that Mookie isn't heroic, which is bullshit. Um, there were some really racist responses in reviews when this movie came out. One of which, they, you know, they, I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually, I brought them up, but I'm, I'm not going to read them out because I don't want to get stuck on this. But, but basically a lot of these white men critics were <laughs> saying that it's going to incite race violence and, and tension and, he's confused and he he mixes his messages and he's not making a definitive statement and blah 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 
I just want to read really quickly what Roger Ebert said in response to that, because he was actually one of one of the biggest champions of the movie. And this is what's his response to that response of it, which is some of the advanced articles about this movie has suggested that as an incitement to racial violence. Those articles say more about their authors than about the movie. I believe that any good hearted person, white or black, will come out of this movie with sympathy for all of the characters. Lee does not ask us to forgive them or even to understand everything they do, but he wants us to identify with their fears and frustrations. Do the right thing doesn't ask its audience to choose sides. It's scrupulously fair to both sides in a story where it is our society itself that is not fair. So that I thought was a, was an interesting take. Um, I just, I would personally go even further and say that if you want to choose sides, there was a really good article written a few months ago about this on the ringer by a writer named Lex Pryor called why Mookie did the right thing. And, And like, do the right thing. It's like, who did the right thing? Nobody did the right thing is what these these critics are saying. But Mookie did do the right thing because the point is like property destruction doesn't equate human life and, and property can be replaced and human life can't. And once the scene in the movie, the human life is lost, there needs to be a, a reaction and there needs to be a message and, and, a, and a, just an expression. And, and, you know, that's what that scene is all about. And I just, I love that movie. And like I said, there was a lot, there's a lot of controversy just to finish up about do the right thing. The last thing I want to mention is it was another, there's another slight, you know, like we talked about award shows being subjective and arbitrary, but there was another one that very famously, it lost the Academy Award for best picture in 1990. Driving Mrs. Daisy. Yeah. 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 So if you, yeah, just think about that for like, a, a little bit and like what driving mrs day and also they're still making films like driving mrs daisy and they're still winning oscars <coughs> green book um anyway um <laughs> but anyway so a very rich very deep film very interesting very provocative deep deep bench there's some controversy some difference of opinions around it who are they as a team as one of my favorite teams they are the 2002 Sacramento Kings, a team just like Do the Right Thing lost the Oscar to Driving Mrs. Daisy on some bullshit. The 2002 Sacramento Kings lost to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals on some bullshit. <laughs> and just to, I know I've already, this, this has been a, a deep, thick one, but I do want to just say briefly, sports can be rigged. Sports have been rigged at times over the course of the history of them and the 2002 Sacramento Kings are some of the are is or just the 2002 playoffs and especially that that western conference finals between the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings it is fundamental proof that sports is rigged sometimes and that these decisions of what sells and what they want to see the Celt- the the NBA wanted the Lakers and Celtics in the final they wanted the finals but the Kings that team was an incredible team Mike Bibby, Chris Webber, Doug Christie playing defense, Peja Stojakovic, Vladi Divac. The bench had Hito Turkoglu coming to his own, getting 25 minutes, hitting threes, hitting shots. Hito Turkoglu. He is very underrated. Agreed. Bobby Jackson, Scott Pollard giving meaningful minutes. They lost in seven games to the Lakers. They lost mostly because they were up 3-2 to two going to the sixth game. 
And that game was rigged. <laughs> two out of the three, two out of the three refs conspired to have the Lakers win the game. And now we know that because Tim Donaghy, a referee, came forward. He was uncovered in a big scandal of he was influencing sports betting for unsavory characters by officiating the games a certain way and officiating with, with and uh, conspiring with other officials to like call certain fouls or not call certain fouls. They had some crazy shit. Like he, he details a story about having things like a referee, uh, referee crew of three referees. They would be like, okay, whoever calls the first foul has to pay for dinner. So they would literally go 10 minutes in a playoff game without calling a foul, let the guys beat the shit out of each other and just push it to not call because they didn't want to pick up the dinner tab for that night. Insane. But to that specific season, that specific series, I just want to read this, this, this brief part of this letter that was submitted by Donaghy's attorney in the trial and whatnot, because he also alleged that the NBA, the leadership of the NBA, David Stern, who was the commissioner at the time, had something to do with it and was, you know, wanted to influence who was going to be playing in the championship and, and all these sorts of things. And we know when I say, when I'm about to read this and I say teams five and six, we know for a fact that that's, that that is Kings and Lakers because it's the only series that went seven games in the whole playoffs. So we know that that's what they're referring to. Uh, but anyway, so referees A, F, and G were officiating a playoff series between five teams, five and six in May of 2002. So the Kings and the Lakers, it was the sixth game of a seven game series and a team five Kings victory that Monday night would have ended the series. However, Tim learned from referee A that referees A and F wanted to extend the series to seven games. Tim knew referees A and F to be company men, always acting in the interest of the NBA. And that night, it was in the interest, it was in the NBA's interest to add another game to the series. Referees A and F heavily favored team six. Personal fouls resulting in obviously injured players were ignored even when they, they occurred in full view of the referees. Conversely, the referees called made-up fouls on Team 5, the Kings, in order to give additional free-throw opportunities to Team 6. Their foul calling also led to the ejection of two Team 5 players. The referees' favoring of Team 6 led to that team's victory that night, and Team 6 came back from behind to win that series. And I didn't, and, you know, this is so, I would encourage everyone to watch like a five-minute clip of highlights from that game of the referees, because it is so crazy. I mean, the Kings are getting like hammered and slapped. And like, there was a, there was a play at the end of the game where Kobe Bryant elbowed Mike Bibby in the face. He broke his nose and they didn't call anything. I think they might've even called the foul on Bibby. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the most egregious cases of sports rigging that we've seen. And just to wrap it up, I just want to say, do the right thing. It's 2002 Sacramento Kings, two things. They should have won. They both should have won. So that's, that's that. like uh, when you folks revisit those teams and that maybe they'll see that like, oh yeah, no, probably the, the best way that came out that year and probably the best team that was that year as, as well. That's actually I, a good comparison. That Kings team was a joy to watch. They were fun. They were fun. Rick Adelman, who should be in the Hall of Fame. Moving right along. So uh, my first choice is I am, I'm a big fan of movies that happen in one day. So I love Die Hard. 
and I love this movie. What's crazy is when you see the cast of this movie that I'm about to mention, it's built as a movie starring these people as a vehicle for, for them, which you don't realize is like in 1993, when my movie, this movie came out, Days and Confuse is the other half of the cast that becomes like uber famous. So the movie I'm going to talk about is 1993's Days and Confuse, directed by Richard Linklater. One of my favorite movies of all time happens all in one day. The main characters of this movie are Jason London, Wally Wiggins, Sasha Jensen, Michelle Burke, Christina Harness, and Rory Cochran. Those are the characters you probably see the most, aside from maybe Jason London and maybe some Wally Wiggins. None of those guys became like uber famous. Michelle Burke should have been famous, should have been a bigger star. But when you think about the other cast in 1993, when you, like, especially now, who also was in that movie, is Ben Affleck, Adam Goldberg, Anthony Rapp, Matthew McConaughey, Cole Hauser, Joey Lauren Adams, Parker Posey, and Renee Zellweger, whose who's, uh, scenes were cut from the movie. So I didn't even know that. I didn't yeah, know that Renee Zellweger was the only one scene just cut from the movie. I think she looked too much like Joey Lauren Adams. Anyway, I digress. So my comparison to the 1983 classic Days and Confused is a 2013, 2014 NBA champs, the San Antonio Spurs. Build as a team that had Tim Duncan, Manny Ginobili, and Tony Parker, all guys who became stars, but is the other unit that ended up winning that championship, which is Patty Mills, Danny Green, and the Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> that was like the uh, the beginning of the legend of Kawhi. Yeah, pretty much. Because he just he exploded in that whole playoffs and and those finals. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I like the team. I love that movie, but uh, just, just 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 that other crew of actors that are in the movie. You're like, holy shit! Totally. I mean, Ben <laughs> Affleck and McConaughey and all those that you are mentioned. Super famous. Yeah, and they have like ten. They combined. They they have like ten lines in that movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to your point, at the end of the day, the person on that Spurs team who might go down as the best player out of that whole group is Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi. Tim Duncan is maybe the best power forward. Sure. Ever. But I'm probably like the greatest spur of all time. But yeah, when you think about like uh, what Danny Green did in that series, kind of like what Anthony Rapp and Adam Goldberg did in that, did in that movie, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, God, I can see. Like, you're going to be a thing for a bit. Anthony Rapp, who's in rent, by the way. Every penny that Danny Green has made on basketball past that series is from that series everybody's trying to look like they're like oh we want him in the playoffs and so because he's going to do that and he i think he had he definitely had another year where he's he's been good in the playoffs multiple times yeah no there was like they were in the they were what people don't realize is like they were in the finals the year before they lost to the heat and then they they collectively as a team decided this whole season is about winning the finals in 2014 they lost on some bullshit that year. They, yeah, they did. They ended up being the heat the next year for one. So yeah. So days and confused. My comp 2013, 2014 San Antonio Spurs. I like that. I like that, and I'm I'm going to continue that. And and uh, this this is going to be somewhat relevant, but I'm going to talk about Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Oh Brother Where Art Thou, one of my favorite movies, Coen Brothers, who we did before, but we didn't really talk about Oh Brother. It's a just a really entertaining movie, super fun. I always have liked their their funny thing about the Coen Brothers, who wrote it as well. Uh, that you know, it's they they say it's a loose adaptation of the Odyssey, 
but yet they've never read the Odyssey. <laughs> That's what they say, you know, but it, it's super fun and, and it's, it's really good. It has a lot of heart. And I would say it's the Coen Brothers, it's debatable whether that's the Coen Brothers' best movie. Yeah. You know, it's and, crazy. It's like, uh, you're right. None of the Coen Brothers had read it. The person who had read it was Timothy Blake Nelson because he studied classic literature at Brown. So he was the one telling us like, oh, no, this is how, how it happens. And I think he did like, he also did like classical theater as well. He did, yeah. Like yeah. Shakespeare. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy's a phenomenal actor. She's really good. Coen Brothers are, are filmmakers that I love so much. I love so many of their films that my favorite of their films changes from time to time. Oh, Brothers definitely in that conversation for me personally. It's a movie that's driven by those three, the three main guys. They drive the train, George Clooney, John Turturro, and Tim Blake Nelson, as you mentioned. But again, it's a very rich and deep textured film in its characters. There's so many great characters and actors in it, including Holly Hunter, John Goodman, Stephen Root, Charles Durning, David Baldacki shows up, Ralph Stanley, who is, thanks to, shout out to my fiance and her family, who are big bluegrass uh, fans, that's putting it mildly, that I know that Ralph Stanley is a famous bluegrass musician, and he plays Stokes, the fucking governor candidate who turns out to be the grand wizard of the KKK. Mm -hmm. Those three guys, they're great, but everything else kind of makes it even deeper. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and say another team that is the debatable best team of this franchise is another Spurs team, actually. And I'm going to go with the 2004-2005 Spurs. That's a good team. Who also won the championship. <laughs> and now I'm not going to say that they were better than the Spurs that you mentioned with Kawhi. And I'm not going to say that they were better than the Spurs a few years prior that were led by Tim Duncan and David Robinson. That team was also great. Also a championship team. And, you know, it's it's all subjective anyway as, as to who was better and, and what, you know, beyond what the numbers are. But just to go into some of those numbers, again, why it's O Brother or Art Thou, because it was really driven by those three guys. And those three guys... When the Spurs being Tim Duncan, who was averaging for the playoffs, 23.6 points, 12.4 rebounds, with four of those being offensive rebounds, four offensive rebounds a game, and 2.3 blocks. Tony Parker, 17 points a game. Manu Ginobili, 20 points a game, five boards, four assists. That team was awesome, but again, filled out by the role players and the texture players like like Robert Ory, who hit a game winner in, in those playoffs. I think he might've hit multiple game winners in that playoffs. Big shot Bob, as they call him. Bruce Bowen playing phenomenal defense on wing and perimeter players. Brent Berry hitting some open shots. Nazi Mohammed got minutes down low. I mean, that was a, that was a deep team, a really good team. I think it's debatable as whether that's the best Spurs championship team. Like I said, I'm not willing to, not going to go ahead and say that it is, but it's certainly in the running as O Brother is in the running of the best Coen Brothers movies. So yeah, O Brother Where Art Thou is the 2004-2005 San Antonio Spurs, who had a record of 59-23. and 23. Nice. It's a good team. All right, I'm up next. I'm going to choose another one of my favorite movies. This one is, uh, as far as the genre goes, it's probably the best movie of the genre. The strange thing is there's not a lot of movies in this genre. And I'm going to talk about the 1979 horror science fiction classic Alien. 
in that movie, there's only seven people in this movie, if you don't include the alien. That is Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafet Koto. So we're looking at, I was thinking about a team of seven people all there to sort of take down the same thing. I came up with the 89-90 Pistons team. And the reason why I chose that team is because it's, like I said, Alien being the best version of the science fiction horror genre. 89-90 Pistons team is probably the best team of that kind of hard-nosed, lunch pail, seven guys, not a lot of scoring going on, but a lot of defenses, a lot of dudes. We need each other to win this. So... That includes Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambeer, Dennis Robin, Mark McGuire, but you also need some glue guys, which is what Yafa Koto and Harry D. Stanton were. So you guys coming off the bench, you got John Scott, John Edwards, and Benny Johnson. Eight guys, seven guys, alien, all like for the same goal. That uh, team doesn't win shit without Vinny Johnson. They don't. They don't. That's for damn sure. Uh, mix of young and old. What's crazy is the movie Alien. None of those characters you ever see again. In a handful of years, just like that Bad Boys 89-90 team, they were pretty much over. In fact, I think 92 was the last time they actually went to the playoffs until 96. Alien, the 89-90 Pistons. It wasn't pretty, but it got done. And people often forget that as far as teams go and as far as movies go, it's one of the best, if not the best in that genre. And as far as teams go, for two years, there was a team that was like, hey, Celtics and Lakers. And hey, Michael Jordan and the Bulls is like, we're here too. And for two years, they were a thing. Yeah, for I would even stretch that to three or four years. When you said before we recorded today that you had one that I wasn't going to like. <laughs> That's not it. Oh, wow. That's even funny because I hate that Pistons team being a Bulls fan. But I also will always say, you know, that Pistons team, they were a great team. And you're right that they were the best of those rough and tumble teams. I mean, they, they provided... You know, I would say that that style is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I think, I, like I said, they're a great team, but like they provided the blueprint of we win by beating the shit out of players that are more talented than us. And I think that's garbage <laughs> being that I was I was a fan of the team that was more talented. <laughs> oh, no, the one you're going to hate is the last one. The, okay. last one was, the last one's brutal. All right. <laughs> but you're right. They totally did. And Alien also like that movie is fucking stellar. And you're right. It's a tight group that everybody is carrying their fucking weight. Yeah, yeah. And like providing something. I mean, the cast of that movie. And you're right. It's not pretty. I mean, it's a small little independent film. And the Pistons, yeah, they weren't they weren't necessarily aesthetically pleasing to watch. It's not. No. Ex- it's not exciting to like pound the ball down low and defense to just collapse and like physically harm the other players i mean when i said a few weeks ago that bill lambeer is a is a piece of shit it's like he is a piece of shit because he legitimately tried to hurt people he was trying to hurt people but that was their strategy that was that was what they did and i can't even be mad at the fact because it worked they won they won they won two championships yeah they won in 88 89 they should have won they should have won three they lost to the lakers in the final yes. the year before when isaiah thomas hurt his ankle so they lost to seven in the lakers 89 90 they beat the trailblazers the lakers played the bulls the very next year is that so the 89 90 team of that Pistons team that was it yeah like by 92 they were like by 90 a couple of guys had already been traded and they broke up yeah they broke up the team yeah, yeah by 92 it was over and uh chuck Daly a lot yeah and it took them like a long time to recover and and to your point it probably took so takes a long time after alien to find another really really good sci-fi horror movie <laughs> well i mean like it is often duplicated and then of course the uh, the sequel doesn't come out until seven years later 
Yeah. <laughs> kind of mirroring the Pistons teams because I don't think they made it to the playoffs again until 1996. So, uh, yeah, accurate, uh, accurate comparison, I would say. All right, but they didn't make it to the finals again until 2006. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they were, got they were worse. Not good. They were not good for a few years after it that. got worse before it got better, for sure. Yeah. Moving forward, I'm going to do my third one. And I went a little basketball heavy this week. I don't know, maybe I have basketball on the brain because these playoffs are one of the more exciting things that's going on. But I want to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown by Quentin Tarantino. I will say that personally, I believe that Jackie Brown is Tarantino's best film. I think it's his best film, honestly, by a long shot. And Tarantino is somebody that I personally like. I like his style, although I will say it's kind of wearing on me. But he, the one thing about him, he's kind of like a, a hip hop producer of a film director, because if you watch his movies, his movies are down to the specific shots and scenes and everything. They are referential in everything. So everything that you see in a Tarantino film, almost ever, is a reference to another movie. And a lot of them are movies that we will never know or see, like myself included, like weird ass random Italian B movies from the fucking 70s that he just happened to see a fucking, uh, you know, 35 millimeter print of in his neighborhood in LA when he was a kid, you know, <laughs> like it's like the most obscure random shit but but anyway jackie brown is a movie that's different from a lot of his other movies because it's from source material it's from a book by elmore leonard who's also one of my favorite writers it's got a lot of it's very funny it's very entertaining but it's also got a lot of impactful moments and i think that it's also tarantino's best film because he did a really good job of restraint there there's some stuff in there's like a whole plot line in the book about Ordell, the character of Ordell, like selling to like neo-Nazi guns to neo-Nazis. And like, there's this whole plot line that kind of derails the story quite a bit that I think he did a really great job of cutting. And it's one of those rare movies that I think the movie might even be better than the book. And I, I love the book, but the movie is just so good. And one of the reasons it's so good is because it is definitely an ensemble movie, but there are two main characters that are just unbelievable characters and some of the greatest performances which is the character of Ordell Roby played by Samuel Jackson and the title Jackie Brown of course played by the wonderful Pam Greer they are so magnetic together and separate in that movie I mean the scene where she gets bailed out of prison and he's in her apartment waiting for her with the lights off and she takes control of the situation by pointing a gun at his is nuts <laughs> it's also a movie that again it's got a deep bench there's a lot of really good performances and actors that easily could be leading their sh the show in another movie like robert de niro uh bridget fonda robert forster who was kind of like a veteran that Tarant you know tarantino has this thing where he likes to get guys from these obscure movies in the 70s or 80s of from his childhood that haven't been working and kind of bring them back and robert forster was one of those guys he was in a movie called Medium Cool from, I believe, the 70s. Very cool, moody movie. But yeah, and then there's Michael Keaton, Chris Tucker, with one of the more wonderful, uh, you know, small, hilarious scenes. Like, it's got filled out character and stories. Like I said, good restraint. It's well-paced. So 
in that respect, Jackie Brown is the 2020 Clippers, 2020 Los Angeles Clippers, led by the aforementioned Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, which I would say that Pam Greer is the Kawhi Leonard, like the leader. Everything kind of revolves around them and and they're just amazing. <laughs> they're both doing so many things. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, he affects the game in so many ways. And he's one of those players that if you watch him, especially in a playoff game where the moments are big and, and there's a lot of tension, he seems to always make the right play. He seems to always make the right decision. And he doesn't make too many unforced, like, silly errors from essentially nerves, which a lot of players do, even players that are considered to be some of the greatest to ever play sometimes the moments are too big for them and that's really what what i look at when i'm looking when i'm comparing great players to other great players who excels in those moments and Kawhi is definitely one of those but also backed up by paul george who's a top 10 player um, so samuel jackson but their bench is why they're so good i mean pat beverly marcus morris lou williams montrez harrell you know some of these guys start but they're they take they play second fiddle. Landry Shaman, Ivica Zubox. To me, it, Zubox is the is the Chris Tucker of, of the Clippers because he 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 does a lot with a little. Like he doesn't play that much, but he puts up a lot of numbers. And Chris Tucker is in that movie for five minutes, but I remember that scene so it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's a it's a it's a great, great scene. The Clippers also, they're well paced. They play well paced. They're not all run and gun, but they certainly can run and play in transition, but they play very good half court defense and offense and uh yeah i kind of just want to talk about them because i think they're the best team in the league and i think they're going to win this championship so uh yeah right. jackie brown 2020 clippers nice the next movie we choose i feel like it's probably the oldest movie we're going to choose but again one of my favorite movies of all time uh in my apartment is a 24 by 36 uh or imposter of it and it's uh it's a movie that whenever it comes on i'm like well shit i guess i gotta watch this for the next couple hours and that is the dirty dozen Robert Aldrich's 1967 movie. And for those of our, our listeners who don't know what The Dirty Dozen is, Dirty Dozen is a war movie, but not a typical war movie. It's about a colonel who was taken, who takes 12 guys who are either five or on death row, and the rest of them are in prison for life, and takes them on a suicide mission in the chateau and to kill all of the Germans that, this are, that are at the chateau to disrupt the hierarchy of the German army division. And in this movie, Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, Charles Bronson, Hall of Famer Jim Brown, John Cassavetes, the godfather of indie filmmaking, Richard Jekyll, Trini Lopez, Telly Savalas, Donald Sutherland, Clint Walker, Robert Weber, Tom Bush, Ben Carruthers, Stuart Cooper, Colin Matlin, and Al Mancini. To me, one of the greatest war movies of all time, but not really necessarily a war movie because none of this actually happened. But <laughs> it, is, it is definitely one of the more rewatched movies I've ever seen in my life. And like I said, whenever it's on TV, I have to watch it. And I would compare them to, I'm wearing the hat of the 2017, 2018 Stanley Cup champions, my Washington Capitals, led by the Barry Trotz, who was the Lee Marvin of our of our. <laughs> Barry Trotz, the coach, correct? Barry Trotz is the yeah. coach. Yeah, that makes crazy, sense. But like the Dirty Dozen was definitely like was a suicide mission, in which like uh, these guys who are already on death row and the rest of them are going to be in jail for the rest of their lives. It's like, granted, it was like they ended up buying into the system. It was like we can do this. And when I think about that Caps team, especially that playoff run, they uh, first round they beat Columbus four two. 
after losing the first two games, which is a very unwashed Capitals thing to, to do. The Capitals are known for being chokers. They brought a title back to D.C. the first time in 92, but they've been a franchise for 40-something years, notoriously known for being the best team in the East, but losing either the first or second round. And so wasn't I, that the case the couple years before they won that chip? Like, weren't yeah. they, they like, were a team that could or was supposed to win potentially? You're either going to win it or going to flame out in epic, epic fashion. So what this run is doesn't make any sense. Like I said, they beat Columbus in the first round after losing the first two, four, two. They beat the Pens in six, the team that won the last two Stanley Cups and a team that notoriously has owned us in the playoffs. And then they beat Tampa in seven after being down 3-2, winning the next two, and then winning game seven for nothing. And, of course, Vegas they beat in the Stanley Cup Finals, a team they have no history with, so they just destroyed them. It was like 4-1 what happened. But just like the Dirty Dozen, they had stars of Veskin, Kuznovov, Backstrom, Oshie, but you also had the glue guys. You had your John Carlson's, your Feller, your Tom Wilson's, your Connolly, and my guy, Devontae Smith-Pelly. So the Dirty Dozen is the 2017-2018 Stanley Cup champions, Washington Capitals. I love that. Yeah, you're talking about like hockey players. Like, first of all, I love the Dirty Dozen, and I almost feel any hockey team can compare to the Dirty Dozen because it's all like heavy, like bearded dudes with no teeth and shit. They're just like, ah, like fucking chug a beer and then go hit somebody. (laughs) I could have said a bunch of hockey teams in Cronos with you. (laughs) But Dirty Dozen is great. And just to bring it back to, to something that we just were saying is like, you want to talk about Tarantino and his references. He references dirty dozen in like almost every fucking movie he's ever done i mean you know a couple of his movies are straight up dirty dozen remakes essentially yeah no i mean in essence he owns a theater in la that just shows the movies and he shows dirty dozen all the time the new beverly yeah yeah well i'm gonna go ahead and do the last one i have prepared here which is a movie that i just rewatched the other day i haven't seen it in a long time and it's a, a comedy and any comedy that that is more than like 10 years old. I, I always worry about if it's going to hold up and if I'm going to find it funny. <laughs> and this one, I'm happy to report, I still did find it funny and it's not too problematic, um, which is Best in Show. Best in Show, directed by Christopher Guest. It's about, you know, the the uh, dog show and, and the culture around that and all the dog owners and their their funny idiosyncrasies and whatnot. And it's it's on Hulu right now. I, I highly recommend, even if you've seen it before, if you have, it's only an hour and a half. It's very quick. It's very fun to it's watch best, best in show because it like, it was so nice to put something on and just like laugh and not have to worry about stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I enjoyed that, but I love best in show because it is, it is a wacky cast of characters. I mean, there are so many characters in this movie and every time they're on screen, everybody is contributing. And it's also a movie that it's consistently funny from start to end. And I, even watching it this last time, I la- there, were, there were parts of the movie that I laughed out loud in the beginning, middle, and end. I was laughing, you know, throughout the whole movie even having had seen it before and even though it is wacky and wild some of it's like it's very understated you know like the jokes are they don't it's not like big punchline jokes it's just like a lot of things and you get what you you catch what you catch which is kind of ahead of its time because not a lot of comedy was being made that way you know part of that has to do with the improvisational style in which Christopher Guest makes his movies 
that movie is great and all the just to name some of the the contributors and some of the characters christopher guest eugene Le- levy Catherine o'hara as a couple they're hysterical together uh jane lynch and jennifer coolidge together are also hysterical bob balaban michael mckean fred willard pretty much steals every scene he's in as the announcer um parker posey who is one of my favorites we mentioned before yeah i uh yeah i i helped parker posey at a at a bookstore i worked at once about 15 years ago and uh yeah she said she she did something that i would have screamed at anyone else for doing which is like there were books on the floor and she just sat on them to read and i was like i'm i'm not even mad at you <laughs> you sit on all those books and i'm gonna buy them all afterwards um <laughs> i i didn't buy them or not it's anyway anyway i want to use them to talk about a team that i don't think it's talked about enough and as as a great 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 team which is the 2005 chicago white Sox. 2005 chicago they don't get talked about enough (laughs) they don't and that's a great team and they don't even get talked about in chicago enough and just a little bit of background if you're not from chicago if you're not a sports fan i mean a little bit of personal background is that I personally, I am a fan or have been throughout the course of my life, a fan of the Cubs and the White Sox. And now before anyone says anything or thinks anything in Chicago, that's generally something that's frowned upon. And in sports circles, that's frowned upon because it's like, you got to pick one, you have to pick one and they represent different things and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you don't have to pick one. You can like whoever you like. And like as a kid, I would take it. I would be like, well, let's go toe to toe on facts then because I can still like out fact you on either on any team. <laughs> but anyway, I love that 2005 White Sox team is awesome because it's it's another thing like Best in Show where none of the individual players necessarily shined over the team it was a collective effort and like everybody's pitching in and you got people that i believe are like criminally underrated specifically like paul canerco i think was kind of the heart and soul he had so many clutch hits he was when the when there was a meaningful moment in a game and he was up to bat he was always gonna come through i mean that guy was so clutch but like i said it's because all 25 guys contributed and that team just to talk about how good that team was. This is one of the best playoff runs in the history of sports. They they went 11 and 1 in the playoffs and the World Series to win in 2005. They swept the Red Sox 3-0 in the first series. Actually, I was at I I lived in Boston at the time I went to college. I was at the game. I was at the game that they clinched, that they won that series, the third game. And it was a famous game because again, why they're so good is every member contributing. The fifth starter on that team was Orlando El Duque Hernandez, but he wasn't starting in the playoffs. They were using him essentially as middle relief and and late inning relief. And he came in with the bases loaded and nobody out in a pivotal moment in the game, in the sixth inning, I believe. And he, he got three straight outs and it was, unbelievable and i'm like i was by myself as an opposing fan in fenway park screaming they had won the world series the year before and i was like screaming at that i was like yeah let's go ah!" you know um and uh somebody behind me was like well shut the fuck up like this is as far as you're gonna get like blah blah and i'm like 
dude, like you guys won last year. Like, let me have the moment. Like, even if it is, we're, we're winning now. And I'm not, I'm also not like, oh, boo, Red Sox. Like, I, I didn't care. Like, whatever. I was just rooting for my team. But anyway, yeah, they swept them 3-0. They went 4-1 against the Angels in the championship series. And they did something that I don't think will ever be done again, which is in those four victories out of the five games, they had four complete games. Every single starter through a complete game that's insane and those those starters were mark burley jose Contreras, john garland and freddie garcia and like it was one of those things that it just built it just built and that and somebody would give a great performance and then the next day they would be like we got to match that and and it would just keep building and building and, and that's how you go 11 and 1 in the playoffs and then of course they swept in, in the World Series. And Christopher Guest movies and Best in Show and Prefigure, it's kind of the same same idea. It's all improv. So everybody, you know, not necessarily trying to one-up each other, but everybody is admiring the work that everyone is doing. And they just want to be contributors and like have it be, you know, bounce back and forth. And yeah, that team was awesome. And they had, they had Jeff Blum and Scott Posednik hit home runs in that playoffs to win games, hit walk-off home runs. Jeff Blum and Scott Posednik, like those are deep ass names. Most people don't even know who those people are. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're definitely B-sides. I think the reason why people don't think of them is because they only won the one and it was like, it's the White Sox. Totally. And 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 they're not like, even though they're in a big market, they're not like a huge market team. And be like, yeah. win this year. Yeah. My, but the thing is, is that they were the best team in the league all year. They were in first place in the division all year, which goes to my saying about best in show being funny all the way through, which is not, not common for comedies. I mean, especially modern comedies. I mean, some of them, you know, the last half hour is not good. Once the comedy part is over and people like think they, you know, anyway, but yeah, they ran the table. They had 99 wins in the regular season, which is very good. And they went 11 and one the playoffs. I mean, that's an unbelievable team and best in show. Again, if you have an hour and a half, I highly recommend watching it. You'll laugh. Don't everyone wants to laugh, right? <laughs> so yeah, best in show, 2005 West High. Excellent choice. For my final one, anybody who knows me knows that like, if you really thought about it, you'd probably figure out what movie I'm going to talk about. And unfortunately, it's two and a half hours long, but it's two and a half hours and it's well worth it. It is over my right shoulder the 1997 film classic. I remember where I was when I saw it. I remember who I was with when I, when I saw it in the theater. And I've seen it probably close to 200 times. And that is Boogie Nights. To me, the greatest ensemble movie of all time. Just this group alone, I'm just going to give you like some stats of what have happened. Premieres in 1997, 26-year-old Mark Wahlberg. Not a star only if you knew the Mark and Mark and a fun bunch. 37-year-old Julianne Moore. People knew her, but not huge yet. She was in The Fugitive a couple years before that. Burt Reynolds, who was on the end of his career, but kind of had some lean years the last few years before that. And then after that, you've got a 33-year-old Don Cheadle. You've got a 32-year-old John C. Riley. You've got William H. Macy. You've got a 27-year-old Heather Graham, who, if you think about it, in 1997, was probably the most famous person in the movie. Other than Burt Reynolds, I would say. Other than Burt Reynolds, she's probably the most famous person in the movie. Agreed. All the teen movies that she did, she was in... License Drive, and he's in a few other things, and blah, 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 blah. You also have a 27-year-old Nicole Ari Parker. You've got a 30-year-old Philip Seymour Hoffman. 
of that crew of names that I just listed, since 1997, they have they share 14 Oscar nominations. Incredible. But then you also got like you got you got to have your glue guys when you have an ensemble. You got Luis Guzman, who was who's in everything. Philip Becker Hall is in all of uh, all those movies. Thomas Shane, who's one of my favorite characters in the movie. Robert Ridgely, Robert Downey Sr., Nina Hartley, the born actress, Melora Waters, who's great, who ended up being in, on Big Love. Alfred Molina, who's been a thing forever. And That's of course, him. Ricky Jay. And uh, I can't say enough about this movie. I, I find something new to like about it every time I watch it. And the comp that I have for them is because I'm not really sure if these actors knew how great a movie this was and how how much it impacted like my life and how much I like movies and how much I like this movie. What I would compare them to were to, to a bunch of kids who didn't know what they were doing, but nobody told them that they weren't supposed to be there. And that is a 2003 Florida Marlins World Series champs, which includes 23-year-old Josh Beckett, 28-year-old Luis Castillo, 27-year-old Juan Encarcion, 26-year-old Alec Gonzalez, 30-year-old Todd Hollingsworth, first baseman, Derek Lee, 28 years old, Mike Lowell, 29, Juan Pierre, 26, and the veterans, Ivan Rodriguez as the catcher. And then, like, throughout the season, the guys they picked up, Miguel Cabrera, Dontrell Willis, uh, and uh, his name I can't pronounce, but Jeff Conine, these are the guys they picked up throughout the season. And in that playoff run, think of, look, these are the teams that they beat to win the World Series. The Giants, who had won it the year before. The Cubs, who the whole country was pulling for who lose in epic fashion, losing game six and seven, and the Yankees. I don't remember but, that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. So, like, uh, next, a, a team that's, like, for some reason will never be forgotten is that 2003 Florida Marlins team. They'd only been a franchise for, like, six years. They'd have already won the, the World Series twice. And no fan base now, which is crazy. But if you look at those guys that were on that team, you can draw very much comparisons to the fact that Boogie Nights had all these young people in it who ended up becoming famous. Mark Wahlberg is famous. Yeah, that was kind of the uh, start of his rocket ascent. I mean, he was definitely yeah. already a thing. He was already but, a thing, but then he but, became a thing. Yeah, well, that movie showed us all that he could really act. He could really act, correct. Yeah. Boogie Nights, this is something that you and I have and bonded over over the years but boogie nice is i one of my favorite films ever i think it's one of the best films ever it's for all those things that you mentioned and yeah every performance is just so they gave everybody like a moment to shine in the movie too they they made sure everybody had their moment even nicole ari parker who was not super famous she's famous for me because it's becky barnett she's been a bunch of shows that i like after that but they gave her a moment in the movie that scene who became famous the guy was a guy who was nominated for four oscars before he died r.i.p he won one same thing with uh, julianne moore wasn't famous when she was in that movie but became famous that movie made me want to make movies that movie that scene the one scene with don Cheadle and what what is the actress's name what is uh the, the female Laura actress's waters. name melora waters melora waters who went on to be in other Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Um, she's, uh, she's in uh, Magnolia. She's yeah. In Which honestly, I I might say that I think Magnolia might be. I don't know. It's hard to say. I, you know, it's impossible to say. No, I get what you're going. He's he's got Boogie Nights is my favorite movie of his, and it's my favorite movie of all time. And the only reason why I love it over his other movies, and his other movies are probably better. It just I don't. I'm not rewatching Magnolia, or I'm not rewatching 
Phantom Thread. I think those movies are great. I'm just not going to rewatch them. Boogie Nights comes on. I'm fucking rewatching that. I agree with that. <laughs> I have also seen Boogie Nights upwards of a hundred times. Yeah, I've seen it a lot. I've seen, like, I've seen my like three times. I was like, ah, I, think, I think I'm good. It's a great movie. Yeah, I like that. And the that Marlins scene was awesome. I mean, yes, they beat the Cubs, and that was like one of the most depressing things yeah. ever. But I, I was never mad at the Marlins. I was. Uh, no, I mean, like, it's. I think the comp. The reason why I comped them to that was because they had no really no business of being there. You're totally when right. Young, you kind of don't know. There's like, oh, wait a second. It's like and, we shouldn't even be here. And usually, what happens in the playoffs, which is why there is an adage of you don't win until you won, is that they figure that out at a certain point of like, oh shit, nobody predicted us to be here. We're not supposed to be here. And you know, that's not to say that who it's whatever. If you win, you're there. But but it's like you've never been there before. So that doubt is gonna seep in. Whereas teams that have won before and teams that have been in the playoffs and looks like they're like, we know that the emotions are sky high and bottom out real hard. And we know how to ride that a little bit better than some of the young guys who, who don't know. But that Marlins team is one of those great teams that nobody told them they weren't supposed to be there. And, they were supposed to be there. and again, like the 2001 White Sox, they did it with pitching. They did it. They did it with clutch hitting and yeah. watching them, even though I was very sore from the Cubs series, because that was one of those years where it was like, the Cubs are going to do it this year. They're going to, they're going to break the curse. They're going to, they're going to win, you know, and, and they didn't, <laughs> and they didn't in spectacular fashion, but which is, you know, their MO, but watching that team, beat the Yankees in the World Series is like one of the most pleasurable. I actually, I went to school, I was in school in Boston, but I I was in New York visiting while that series was going on. And the mood in New York that soured as they started to lose was just, I, you know, as a Chicagoan, I was loving every second of it. Awesome. That's great. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah. So that's going to be the who and the what. We did it. Teams to ensemble movies. Finally, this week, things that we like, things that we like. <laughs> we'll do more of that. I mean, like, yeah, uh, we we're going to, you know, like I said, everything is political, right? <laughs> Callback. Yeah. Defend callbacks. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, I wanted to do something. Let's do it as quick as possible and, and something different because uh, I have no idea what I'm looking forward to. But I want to pare down my fucking streaming service cues and also help me figure out the age old question that I think everyone has all the time, which is what am I going to watch? What should I watch next? So I want to go through one of my streaming services and pick a random line of five movies and go through it with you quickly to out of the five, we're going to take one of them off immediately. And then we're going to pick one that's going to be one of the next things I watch. You're up for that? Fair enough. First, I'll ask you, should we do Netflix, Hulu, or Criterion Channel? <laughs> I have every goddamn streaming service known to man, which, you know, in a month or two might change. <laughs> Netflix, Hulu, Criterion. Let's start with Hulu because I don't know what's on Hulu right now. Okay. So I'm going to go into my... I feel like I've watched all the Hulu stuff that I could watch. Like I watched America. I'm going to keep it with just movies and I'm going to just take one of these lines of movie just randomly scrolling i'm not even looking i'm gonna cut out things i have movies on my cues that i've seen before you know movies i want to watch again so i'm gonna cut those ones out i'm not gonna mention those but okay boom i got it the movies are 
Captain Fantastic, the Viggo Mortensen movie about the dad. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Captain Fantastic. Detroit, the Catherine Bigelow movie. Beach Bum, the Harmony Corinne, Matthew McConaughey movie. The Two Jakes, <laughs> the uh, sequel to China China, China, sequel? No sequel, sequel to Chinatown. So yeah, no, uh, this you. might be easier than I expected. Yeah. And the last one is the Taika Waititi movie, Hunt for the Wilder People. All right, so you got Beach, be Beach Bum, Captain Fantastic, Detroit, Hunt for the Wilder People, and the Two Jakes. Let's right off the bat, let's take one of those out. Two Jakes. No, okay. thank you. Agreed. Taking it out. Two Jakes gone. Don't ever need to see it. Yeah, no. I'm old enough to remember that coming out. And even I was like, I don't know. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> um, okay. Two Jakes is gone. All right. Let's let's take let's do let's take another one off. You can what, take that Captain Fantastic off. Okay. Captain Fantastic. Because it's like kind of silly and lighthearted and that premise sounds silly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm somewhat interested in it as a person who pretty much every day has a fantasy of what would it be like if nobody could find me? <laughs> if I could just be totally off the grid and uh, yeah, nobody, nobody could find me. Um, anyway. Okay. So, so we're left with three. We are left with Detroit hunt for the wilder people and beach bum out of those three movies. What should I watch next? George? I think hunt for the wilder people hunt for the wilder people. Yeah, because uh, that guy's on a really good run. He is. We're in the middle of a, like, uh, that that Thor Ragnarok was fucking awesome. Jojo Rabbit was, yeah, yeah, yeah. was so good. Have, have you seen that yet? Yeah, uh, no, but I hear that's great. But he's uh, great. There's something else that he did. It was like, oh, didn't he do What We Do in the Shadows? What We Do in the Shadows, which is so much fun. Yeah, no, he's he's on a run. And his first film, I believe it's his first film before Hunt for the Wilder People boy. is Boy is I haven't seen that either, but it's supposed to be very good. That's supposed to be dope. Kind of put him on the on the trajectory he's on now. Yeah, no, he's uh he also seems like a good hand. I he does. He seems a lot of fun. He's and he's super smart and okay, great, awesome. We did it. We 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 answered the the impossible question is what am I gonna watch next? And it's going to be a hunt for the wilder people. Maybe if I like it enough, I'll talk about it. Yeah, I hear that's good. All right, cool. We did it. I'm happy with that. What are you looking forward to, George? You can't not talk about sports. I think that's one of the things that's weird that we've got the semifinals in uh, tennis. Serena's still in it. She's playing tonight. You've got the NFL starts this weekend, Kansas City versus uh, Houston, which is probably just going to be a shootout. The first three weeks of the NFL are going to be awesome because they're, be, they're going to be kind of awful. Yeah, because no preseason games no. and... Yeah. You've also got college football. It starts their major weekend this Saturday. And then you've got like a full Sunday set of games. So there's, there's so much sports going on. And I think it's going to rain today. It rained earlier. It's supposed to yeah. rain. So, I mean, I have no excuse. <laughs> You're just going <laughs> to pull yourself up and watch uh, football. Oh, yeah. And there's, uh, you also have like game seven in the Celtics and Raptors this weekend. Too, Which so. should be awesome. Which is going to be great. So that series is, is going to be sports, a lot of sports, and a lot of me not answering phone calls about stuff, and then me answering text messages, going, "Did you see that? That's crazy. These rough stick. Just a lot, a lot of those, a lot of that going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I look forward to getting some of those text messages. Yeah, that's going to be a nuts. Yeah, awesome. That's another week for Know Your Roles. I think that we are going to start having guests. Um, we have our, we have our first guest next week. So, we're going to have filmmaker Brett Haley. Yeah, everybody should be excited that. I think we're going to be talking about musicals. We're going to be talking about musicals and music and film and uh, his movies that are very music heavy. Even before we have that episode, encourage everybody to watch 
some of his movies that are available on many different platforms right now. Hearts Beat Loud is on Hulu, as well as Hero. It, it's very good. His new movies on Netflix. But we'll talk, we'll talk about that, of course, next week. Yeah, um, yeah so we're looking forward to it. Uh, once again, please wear a mask over your nose. Be respectful of other people, not just yourself. You look insane when you wear a mask over your nose. You look insane. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agree. Just like, just like over your like over your chin. You just just what are you doing? That's that's <laughs> there's no purpose. I clearly, don't understand what's going on. I don't know who had this joke, but shout out to this person who had this joke. Wearing a mask that's not covering your face and mouth is like wearing a condom that just covers your balls. So. <laughs> Shout out to that person who had that amazing tweet. I'm going to keep saying this as long as we have this. It's like, wear your fucking mask over your nose and over your mouth. Thank you. Please and thank you. God bless. <laughs> Later. We're out. Hold on the road,